0: Thank you so much, Ben and Julie. You know, One of the delights of gathering back together again is being ministered to in music. And, uh, and I hope you memorize some of those hymns and special music. You know, when you get to heaven in the presence of Jesus, you know, you're going to kind of want to know what to say. And that is a good thing to say. You know, you don't want to talk about the Browns, you know there's no hope there <laughs> you want to talk about Jesus possessing you and being your master and how thankful you are so uh, they they really provide for us uh, a good rich just words I, I don't know if you've ever been in the awkwardly silent and never quite known what to say but I know it's hard to believe but for me that's the most awkward place for me to believe, be um but, um, thank you. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 130. 130, I want to read our actual text for the morning. Uh, thank you, Ron, for doing such a good job with Psalm 107. Psalm 107 and then Psalm 150 are the, the bookends to this section of the book of Psalms. We, we need to understand that the book of Psalms has quite a rigorous structure and, uh, First two psalms obviously introduce the whole of the book, one and two, and then there are five books, collections, and at the beginning, at the end of each one of the books uh, is really where we find significant psalms, not to say that the rest isn't, but uh, we really get a guide as to how to handle that particular book uh, from that opening psalm and that closing psalm within that book. Here we're in book five, Psalm 107 is sort of the, the, the watchman to this section, uh, teaching us what to look out for. And then Psalm 150 is sort of the, the, the capstone uh, that helps us. Uh, so Psalm 130, we're, we're really at the end of the first section of Book 5 here. From this point forward, you'll start seeing David's name a little bit more in terms of the authorship up to this point. Uh, they have been pretty much anonymous psalms. Uh, in book 5, uh, these, all of these psalms in book 5 are, are looking and deriving hope from the guaranteed future for the nation of Israel. Uh, we, the big word we use is they're eschatological. Uh, the, 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 the more familiar idea is it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Book 5... Uh, highlights that for the nation of Israel and we're going to drive encouragement like that this morning. Out of the depths I have cried to thee, O Lord, the psalmist writes, Lord hear my voice, let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications if thou Lord shouldst mark iniquities O Lord who could stand But there is forgiveness with thee, that thou mayest be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait, and in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness. That should sound familiar from Psalm 107. We heard that word a lot. There's loving-kindness. And with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Can I ask you a question this morning? Uh, how many of you have ever felt like you were living life out of the depths? Okay. Okay. Let me ask that one more time, just in case you're distracted. <laughs> it's an important question. because It's here where we find the connection with the psalm. How many of you, different seasons in your life, you have ever felt like you were living life out of the depths? Okay, that's probably a little more true. And uh, if you haven't uh, yet, uh, we hope you don't have to, per se, but this psalm is particularly for those who, who have experienced life, lived out of the depth. Out of the depths. The human condition can find itself mired in the depths of depression, disappointment, affliction. Biblically, these depths, biblically, these depths, Biblically, from God's perspective, these depths are the direct result of long-term consequences of either your own sin, the sin of others that has victimized you, or the fact of sin in a fallen world. Biblically, from God's perspective, That's reality. And that's what creates the depths out of which we are called by God to live. You know, I suspect many of you place yourself in the depths right now. You know, if you spend much time in the 24-hour news cycle, it is certainly understandable how it is that you are in the depths. The psalmist cries out to the Lord from this very condition, and it is instructive for us to note, and here's the key, to note the confessions. Confessions. What's a confession? Confession is simply saying, God, I agree with you. That's a confession. That's what we want to note. If we are going to live life out of the depths in the way that God intends us to, the psalmist here teaches us that there are some confessions that we have to make if we're going to survive and, in fact, thrive living life out of the depths. This morning, we will organize our thoughts around two very perspectives. Okay? The first one we're going to get through very quickly the first perspective is looking at the psalm from the, perf- from the periphery, from the outside of the psalm. We're not going to dive into it. We're just going to make some observations that are profound. And they're very important for us to carry through the rest of the psalm. So we're going to look at it from the periphery, and then we're going to dive into it in the second part, okay? So what about the periphery? What do we want to note about the place where this psalm is in relationship to the rest of the book of Psalms, and we've mentioned some of them. But but the first thing we note that a psalm is public in nature. Okay? Don't forget that. What's going on in the psalm was not hidden. It was not in a corner brooding over the difficulties of life. This is public in nature. This song is to be sung and heard by the whole of the nation. Life in the depth gives great integrity to a disciple-making individual's life. Great integrity. We don't ever want to forget it. it's public in nature. It reminds us of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Comfort others with the comfort you have been what? Right. You're no good to anybody if you've never been in the depths and found comfort. At least not the church, really. Okay? So what I'm saying here is this is sort of necessary if you're going to be effective as a disciple-maker of Jesus Christ. You have to be here, and you have to share it, what you learn here. Number two, the authorship is anonymous. I mentioned that up to this point in the the fifth book of the book of Psalms, from 107 to 130, they're all anonymous. Anonymity. In other words, the issue is not so much the individual experience of any one given individual. This is anonymous. And because it's anonymous, we don't know what the specific issues are. Those are inconsequential. 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 Now, that's not to say they don't matter to God because there are hundreds of other psalms where the specifics are given, where we know exactly who the author is, and we know exactly how he's trying to work through the difficulties of his life. So I'm not, I'm not diminishing that, but what I'm saying is as we come into book five, as we've lived through books one, two, three, four, we're coming into the glorious pasture of book five. We find out what's book five all about. Well, book five is, is praise and worship. Throughout the psalms you have little pot shots of praise and worship with a lot of agony. A lot of imprecation, whatever, saying the bad guys are really bad and do something about them, Lord. A lot of that. But as the psalms move from book one to book two to book three and then finally now crescendoing into book four, we have moved from single shots of praise to now a machine gun of Praise! And we have a growing understanding. And in Book Five, we have the manifestation of the points that really ought to grip us and move us into praise and worship. Life in the Depth gives a profound, thoughtful occasion, profound, thoughtful occasion for praise and worship. For praise and worship. And then finally, this is a song of ascent, folks. Look at it, it's right there. Pastors taught us what songs of ascents are. So we all grab our arms together and we all go marching up to worship. And this is what we're singing. You've got to go to church. Because it's in worship, it's in church where these profound themes are reiterated again and again and again. It's corporate. And you've got to be with God's people. So it's a song of ascent. Reminds me of Hebrews 10. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know, life lived in the depths gives so many excuses to stay away from church. So many excuses. <laughs> Book 5 says, no way. Not only are we not going to stay away from church, not only are we not going to live privately, brooding over my little problems within the church, we're going to learn, we're going to comfort, and then we're going to grab arms and we're going to praise and worship together. And we're going to still be in the depths. There is no relief out of the depths in this passage. It is a fact that that never changes. So, we're going to be directed this morning. And I hope you're ready for the direction. Because for some of you, and for me as well, it's not easy to hear. But we don't want to forget, this is praise and worship. Okay? This is triumph. This is glory. Okay, you ready? That's the periphery of Psalm 130. That's looking at it from the outside in. It's a shocker. The first words are, Out of the depth. I cry. This is praise and worship. Here it is. All right. The periphery of Psalm 130. We had a lot more we could say there, but we're not going to say anything more. I almost scratched that out, because that was too long. So if the periphery of Psalm 130 brings profound insight for surviving and thriving in life lived out of the depths, a look inside this psalm challenges us in some very unexpected ways. So we're going to find really four ideas here. We're going to find an entreaty, then we're going to find a mentality, then we're going to look at an intense intentionality, and then we're going to look at solidarity. Okay, And we're going to try to do that uh, in a manner that's efficient. So Entreaty, mentality, intentionality, and finally solidarity. So write those things down. Okay. Or if you want to write them, if you want the verses put in treaty by verses one and two, this is a beautiful psalm. Uh, by three and four, put mentality. By five and six, because you're going to want to go back here. Five and six, put I would put intense intentionality, and then seven and eight, solidarity. There it is real simple if you're going to live life out of the depths if you're going to survive it and indeed thrive in it you're going to need these four realities in your life Okay. so we have an entreaty in verses 1 and 2 out of the depths I have cried to thee O Lord, Lord hear my voice let thine ears be attentive to the voice of my supplication you know, the temptation here is to take the words of the psalmist as an address to an otherwise aloof, disinterested God, right? That's kind of how it sounds. Like, hello, God, wake up. I'm really in trouble now. Please wake up, wake up. That impression fails to consider the customs in place when this psalm was written. Folks, this is a formal entreaty to a sovereign ruler. Ruler. It does not signal an aloof interest in the party being entreated. Rather, it is the exact opposite. It signals the absolute conviction on the person making the entreaty that the addressee of the entreaty is the only single possible place of help. The only one in the universe, and it's with this kind of energy that the psalmist comes. You know, you do not talk this way to an equal or a buddy who may, who may or may not be able to help you. It's like, you know, Pastor Tim and I were driving down to North Carolina as teenagers, and we got lost, of course. You know, Pastor Tim would look at me and say, hey, do you know where we're at? I say, ah, you know, that was the era of these huge maps, You know, and I was the guy reading the map. But frankly, I wasn't much help, right? And I could not be dependent because we were lost. He didn't say, incline your ear to me. Listen to me. No, he knew right away, even in the asking, eh, I'm not going to take what he says, you know, really seriously. All right? That's what's going on here in this text. The psalmist understands there is no other place to go. There is no other hope. This is a formal entreaty to a sovereign who can, in fact, help, who can, in fact, help. Um, so it's instructive that the entreaty is simply to be what is it to fix the problem as far as we know all it is is to please listen to me God please listen to me there's some things I want to tell you I want to tell you some things that overwhelm me so here they are he's going to tell us Life lived out of the depths requires that you must learn to entreat. You've got to realize you need help. And boy, you better learn to entreat the right person if you're going to survive and thrive out of the depths of life. So what needs to be heard what is it that we want to tell him? Well, ironically, it is a confession. I'm just gonna let that sit for a minute. It's not a laundry list of needs. Because in book five, we realize the only thing we possess is a confession. The psalmist is gonna tell us why. This is what we possess. It's a mentality. It's a mentality. Here's his mentality. The confession is that as bad as temporal life lived out of the depths is, and let me repeat that, temporal life lived out of the depths is, things could be eternally much worse. Did you see there? Temporal versus what? As bad as life out of the depths is temporally eternally God it could be much worse and I want you to know I confess that and I get it he says that in verse uh, number uh, he says if thou Lord shouldst mark iniquities O Lord who could stand see what he's saying there see what he's confessing you were to mark my iniquities, I would have been dead and burning in hell an awful long time ago with absolutely no help for all eternity to be found. But he's saying, in fact, God, you've done something crazy. And we're going to talk about that here in a minute. So whether the reality of your life is the result of self-inflicted consequences of sin or even more terrible, the reality of the victimization of sin by others, there remains a great eternal anomaly. Anomaly. If the Lord marked iniquities, no one could stand. But with the Lord, there is forgiveness. This is the great eternal anomaly. I call it an anomaly because of this. We're familiar with blind justice or lady justice. What does lady justice holding the scales have over her eyes? They blindfold, right? If you go to the courthouse in Painesville, you'll see it. Blind justice or lady justice, as she is called, demands that the Lord should, in fact, mark iniquities and he should, in fact, execute justice immediately. That's what blind justice demands. Guess who experienced that kind of justice as a company of 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 individuals? The angelic host. They experienced blind justice. One chance, and one chance only. They got justice, blind justice. Humanity, we enjoy a much more nuanced form of justice. It took me hours to come up with that little sentence. (laughs) Nuanced form of justice, because there still is justice for us, isn't there? Time between offense and retribution. That's the first thing. There's time. There's time between offense and retribution. There was at least however many years between Adam's sin and the coming of Christ to die on the cross. I don't know how much time that was, but that's not just. Not blind justice. Blind justice says execute punishment what? Quickly. So there's time. And then breathtakingly, breathtakingly, there's the possibility of forgiveness. Forgiveness for all eternity. All eternity. This is an anomaly. This ought not to be. Ironically, this profound logic is intended to produce what? Fear and reverence for the life lived out of the depth. Well, why is fear? That's kind of odd to me. For there's forgiveness with the Lord so that you would fear the Lord. That's odd. Typically, oh, we love, you know, it's all pasty and lovey-dovey and we're all going to be okay. No, that's, see, you've got the wrong idea. You don't get it. Fear is the result because any Old Testament saint worth their salt knew that forgiveness was not a mere sentiment based on some sort of shared experience of failure. That the guy in charge was a failure just like me, so we all just kind of forgive each other. That's how you forgive things. That's how I do it. Oh, no, I get it. I'm a human being too. Don't worry about it. Please, you're forgiven. That's not how God doesn't have that option, He has no failure. He's absolutely, perfectly holy. So it is a forgiveness uh, that was pictured time and again in the bloody sacrificial system. It was abundantly clear God's holiness demands that sin deserves immediate bloody death. The great anomaly that sinners stand, that sinners stand, this great anomaly... And that they can know forgiveness means that somehow God's wrath must be appeased in another way. God would pour out his wrath for his sin on his own son. In the Old Testament verbiage in Messiah, in our verbiage, it's the precious Lord Jesus of Nazareth. We know him. We can almost smell him. And we make pictures because we kind of know what he might look like. We know he's a Jewish man the tribe of Judah. We're excited one day to meet him face to face. God would pour out his wrath on his own son. God would remain just, and in his very son be the justifier. To receive this kind of forgiveness lays upon its recipient of gravity, a humility, and may I say, fearful disposition of awesome respect One might say that you know you have received divine forgiveness when it results in a profound disposition of humility, of awesome respect, carefulness in living because you want to love and fear and honor the Lord. This theological confession is profound in the face of trying to survive and thrive in life lived out of the depths. This is not cliche or some trite rendering of an idea. It is, can I use a Latin word on you? Because I can't find any other words. It's ah, for. Fortiori, Is that the idea? The Latin here means that it is the strongest of arguments. It's an even stronger consideration. It's an even stronger argumentation. That means all the other arguments are true, but this one's even stronger when it comes to the question of God's justice. It's the strongest of argument, and it stands as the strongest of arguments against, Him. here it is, you who are in the life, life lived in the depths. And this is praise and worship, by the way. So let's all smile. (laughs) I'm missing that a little bit. Uh, It's a stronger argument against the haunting, deceptive idea that God has somehow been unjust or has made a mistake in your life. Life lived out of the depth languishes and is haunted by this consideration. This confession does not remove it necessarily, but it can cool the pain of life lived under the weight of the consequences of sin by the idea that justice for humanity is nuanced by the possibility of forgiveness. There it is. There's your answer. That's it. That's your confession. It is this nuanced understanding of justice that allows sin to exist in time, right? This nuanced idea, this time, allows sin to spin around like a bumper ball in bumper pool, and it's hitting things, and it's, and it's, and it's hurting things, and it's victimizing things, and it's troubling things, but it's there... The nuanced form of justice allows for that. Blind justice does not. Sin never comes up for a breath. But guess who else never comes up for a breath? You or me. Life lived out of the depths is a life that can be lived and live with the glorious sunlight of forgiveness, praise and worship, hope of full and final redemption. The angelic host knew no such possibility. No, nope. they only got God's justice, no forgiveness for them. Those of you who more consistently live life out of the depths will not be surprised by our next observation derived from our look inside Psalm 130. And this is from 5 and 6. It, just, it takes uh, an intentional, intense focus right life live in the depth because you're not finding you're not finding what in your opinion is resolution right so you go a little deeper you get a little more focus you you, you pursue you try to understand and you try to get more and you think at the end of this process there's going to be resolution where where the psalm is saying no no resolution isn't isn't the expectation for this time of your life it's just not I mean, God certainly resolves a lot of things, but I'm talking about life in the depth. I'm talking about the haunting questions of whether God has truly been just and fair here. Why, am I, why have I been victimized by sin? Or why, why, why am I so, so, so all the time put out and, 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 and wrung out? So it takes intentionality. The word here, wait, I wait for the Lord, my soul does wait. In his word do I hope my soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. I wait for the Lord. The Hebrew word translated wait, it's a verb. It's what we hope for, we wait for. The idea in this word is not just a mere hope, but it, it's specifically, we, we like the word translate the word used wait, because wait requires that we're waiting for some event. It's not just hope, so so it's a little more it's 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 a pencil sharpened a little bit more further than just hope it's i'm waiting for something. I wait, I wait, I'm waiting for an event. there's my resolution. it's in the event that's it that's it and and it's more than it. We'll see. Um, the metaphor used here is. The watchman. The idea here, and, and as he says it, he says it twice. And he says, No, he says, Yeah, it's like the watchman who waits for the morning. And, and then he says, No, 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 you're not listening to me. He says, In fact, it is more than the watchman who waits for the morning. He says, No, really, you're not listening. To survive and thrive in a life in the depths requires more than the intensity of the night watchman. Now let's talk about the night watchman. What is the only hope the night watchman has? The only one. What's the event he's waiting for? What? Sunrise. That's it. There is no other events. There are none. It is the sunrise that chases away the fear of darkness. The the concern that the foes are going to attack and we're never going to know it. They're going to sneak up on us. His only hope is to see that sun crest above the horizon. And our only hope is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the profound discovery that the watchman teaches us is life in the depth is managed, not remedied. And I say that again the lesson of the watchman that life out of the depths is managed it is not remedied the only way I've got to stay on watch 12 o'clock 1 o'clock 2 o'clock man it's getting dark I'm getting tired 3 o'clock did I hear something? Are they, can I see? Four o'clock? Five o'clock? Six o'clock? The only person that's glad for the sun to come up in the morning is the watchman. Everybody else wants to sleep in. Close their shutters. All right, but The watchman's ready. All right. I think you get the intensity, right? Um, it's fueled by an intensive focus on the word. It's a word of hope. You see that in the text. The hope that those who live life in the depths have an objectifiable and available to each one of them. It is not a secret of a select few. It's God's word who cannot lie. It's, it's supported by the miracle of inspiration, providentially preserved, and it is robust. Folks, the Bible is a big, fat book. It is sufficient for you to manage life out of the depths until the event comes that'll fix it. Okay? It's sufficient. And then finally, Solidarity. The address now rises to all of Israel. Verses 7 and 8. He has found comfort. It's comfort in a confession. He seeks to comfort others with the comfort he's been comforted with. Hope in the Lord. Is the Lord worthy? What are his qualifications? Well, his loyal love is eternally loyal love. This is absolutely love of a completely other kind. Life lived out of the depth requires us to grip this more and more firmly because we have got to get our focus off of temporal life, and we must put it in eternal life. And There's only one person that can bridge that and be eternally consistent, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ the redemption we're told here is abundant and folks this is so cool this is not like redemption in a, in, a, in, a, in a positional sense this is the word, this concept here is the reversal of all of the consequences of sin it's full and final redemption it's fixing you it's an event that will fix you and fix them for unfixing you whoever they may be, are you with me? This is is a complete reversal of those consequences of either your own sin or being victimized by sin or living in a sin-cursed world. That will all get fixed. So our conclusion then, and I appreciate your patience. Believer, the believer who lives life out of the depths must find motivation for praise and worship. You must. You are a worshiper. The fact that you are in the depths gives you no excuse... According to Psalm 30, found in Book 5 of the Book of Psalms, to sort of just clam up and become not, you know, to to just sort of, I don't know, I know, I do know. (laughs) Just be quiet and sort of go off into your corner and just leave me alone. And let me just, you know, that's not an option here. Um, Instead, we got to remain standing, right? Uh, That's the whole point of verses 2 and 3. Sinners actually can do what? They can stand. They can stand. Yes, this nuanced approach to justice allows sin's effects to flourish. Boom, 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 boom. You know, knocking us in the head, hurting us, deceiving us, causing all kinds of... But we're thankful that it exists. As difficult as temporal life out of the depths is, it gives us the opportunity for eternal life. Unlike our demonic creative counterparts who are sealed, one and done, sealed. Progressively understanding what the forgiveness cost saturates your life with the fear of the Lord rather than the fear of man. So the idea here is is I'd no longer focus on the depth producing agents. I go back to my first memory of when I personally committed a sin. And at that moment, I fall on my face and I worship God that I was not treated with blind justice in that moment. That's what the psalmist is saying. And then I begin to understand what it costs God to nuance justice for me. that I can enjoy eternity with him forever what the angels will never enjoy and then it just doesn't matter who has done what and what has done why and all that matters is I stand sinners stand stand unlike the angels your wrestle out of the depths is a temporal one they, I don't know if they care to wrestle. But their wrestle in their depths will only go deeper. If You know what I mean. Wink, wink. They're going to the lake of fire. And they're sealed there. Um, for now you possess. What do we possess then? Well, we possess a confession, not a resolution. Own it for everything you're worth. May, like the psalmist, you progressively grow to understand the infinite and eternal value of that confession. May going up to the house of the Lord to worship be a rich resource to renew that confession week in and week out. May you treasure your confession to the degree that it progressively replaces the pain and the fear and the frustration of men caused by men. May it replace the treasure of that simple truth, that sinners stand. That sinners stand. And you can have a standing for all eternity if you put your faith and trust in Jesus alone. The very wrath of God burns out at the cross. Burns out on the body and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of that, friend, you and I stand amazingly so. And one day we'll get to explain it to the angels, because they don't get it. The good ones. Because they only had one opportunity as well. So let's pile. Thank you for your patience. Lord, we pray for your help. We need you. Help those who, we all have been in the depths of life, and, but some of us are, are, are there, and uh, they're thoughtful people. They're very intelligent, often gifted people, and they wrestle with the questions of justice, and they wrestle with how do they make their way forward? And uh, Lord, the psalm is a profound, uh, simple, uh, I hope, help to them. And, and, and hopefully, uh, their occasion will be a source of great praise and worship. Uh, we don't have any of the realities of their problems here, it's just, it's just theological truth. They're, they're great theologians. Uh, they're looking forward to sitting down with Jesus one day and enjoying his fix. And they're waiting for that specific time. We love you. Help us to wait to wait for you in Jesus' name. Amen.